When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. My name is Jimmy. Jimmy Kinahan. You can be sure I will never What? McManus. Her husband was was the head of the sugar factory. Old friends of your parents. I was down visiting her the other day. It's last summer past. Italy are playing the US tonight in the World Cup. But I'm at Castlenock College for my school reunion. Good to see you. Six of us, all friends, left here to become priests. None of us were ordained. I met up with them again last summer, some of them for the first time in a long, long time. But this is mostly my story and the story of where I went when I left Castlenock to become a monk. All I remember about that parlor was I had a cousin who was in sixth year. What really brought me in was that um, I read Thomas Merton and it, the, the yeah. poem, you know, The Less Travelled Road, if you had those yeah, profiles, yeah. that really put me... I, it was the, I used to read, you know, Temptation. We used to read the, the Gospel. I used to read the Gospel from second year on. And I used to read the four Gospels every year. Mm. But the thing that struck me was, and it's, it's ironic, was that Jesus asked this young man came up to Jesus and said, you know, um, Master, what can I do, you know? And he yeah. says, um, give up everything. And the, and the young fellow went away and said, oh, not really. Yeah. And that struck a chord with me because we were, all of us were very privileged mm-hmm. what we brought up. And, mm-hmm. and I said, you know, maybe that's 
its message to me. I, I was exactly the same. It was this perfection thing. This was the ultimate call. Yes, yes, and if you yeah. were going to do it, do it right. Well, it was a bit like being a rugby player, wasn't it? Go in, tackle, do the business. You know, yeah, it was incredible. Distortions of the Vincentians. It was all part of an idealism of the sixties. You were. I mean, but it was a continuation, as we all said, of what we did in school. You know, you know, you said that, Pete. It was a continuation. We went into a regime. We got up in the morning. Everything was organised for us. Yeah, I got to stage now. Where for me, love, love of God is what's important and love mm-hmm. to people. Yeah. Whereas when we were young, we were, we were going to do and we were going yeah. to give up yeah. and yeah. we were going yeah. to do. Yes. Whereas yes. now, yes. now it, it's, it's not what, uh, what we do. But yeah. we, we, sort of, we have to surrender ourselves yeah. to God's yeah. love mm. and, and experience his love and only from then. And that's, that's what I've learned. I mean, I often look back and say, now, had I been a priest, you know, I mean, first thing we said, sure, I would have been a hopeless priest. But Jesus says somewhere, he says, I, you haven't chosen me, I have chosen yeah. you. Yeah. So I often wonder, you know, people say, well, should I, maybe, maybe I left a priest, maybe he wanted to be a priest, but it wasn't my choice. But, but I chose mm-hmm. to, uh, to, to uh, come out. It just it struck me. Everybody seems to have read Thomas Merton. Did you yeah. not read him? Six, oh, I said it was in every, every yeah. one of us. Yeah. That's yeah. interesting. Yeah. It was, yeah. But he was an yeah. iconic yeah. figure in and the 60s. he come back from the war and gone into the Gethsemane oh, um, no, Monastery. Yeah. Right, yeah. yeah. And it's fun that we never said to her, have you read that book? That's right. Isn't that that's interesting? Right. We might have shared a lot of other books. But I think too that perhaps society was much simpler in the 60s. And I think that if you, if you had feelings of wanting to detach... Well, the, really, the only avenue open open to you was in the church. Nowadays, there are many alternatives available. Right. Yes, you know, I mean, both within the church and outside the church. Mm-hmm. Um, if you want to to have a more spiritual it's, life, it was a radical option, wasn't it? I mean, I when you think of it that way, but, the, but there was no other option oh, for, really, oh, was it? It was very radical what we did. Yes, yeah. Yeah. for you too, but for yeah. the four yeah. of us, no. No, yeah. 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 I mean, most people thought we were mad, even in those days. Why the hell would you do that? You know. But I remember going to a tennis club dance the week before I went. You know, and saying goodbye to everybody yeah. and trying to get a, a bird out in the tennis court and mm. do things that I'd never done. I said, my time is up. Come on, <laughs> I'm going off to the monastery. So that was kind of scary. Last month, I went back to where I went when I left Castleknock, back to Mellifont Abbey, County Louth. There were two other novices who joined with me that year. Tell me where we are. Well, we're just outside the the public entrance to the, the church in Mellifont Abbey in Cullen County now. And it's just gone, finished the mid-morning prayer at noon. And they're reflecting now, monks are reflecting before they go in for their mid, mid, uh, midday meal. And that's, that's where we are now. And when did you come here? I came here in 1964, the September 1964, 40 years ago. And well, 42 years ago. So um, it's quite... Um, I haven't been here for many, many years, and it's um, it's quite nostalgic. I don't think nostalgic is the word I feel. It's, it's, um, I can't explain the feeling about it, listening to them pray there and, and see them and being part of that. It's part of my life that I haven't forgotten about, you know, and it's just strange, really. Not a strange feeling, but I can't explain the feeling I have about it to see all the monks although we were it's a silent order um, I could see the characters I know them and some of them I, I didn't even speak to the, for the period I was here but I know the characters I could see them Father Alphonsus from Kerry and Father Andrew from Scotland Father Lawrence from Dublin 
and they'd be the real dubs and the Kerry men, you know. It's quite interesting. And some of them, as I said, I, I never spoke to, but I could communicate with them. And we would know each other very well. And, and when you say you'd know their characters, even though you'd never spoken, how would you...? It's strange, I suppose, that um, the closest analogy I'll give you that uh, blind people can sense people because their other senses are more perceptive. And although we didn't speak, we communicated and people had their mannerisms and we had a great sense of humour and I think all of the monks had a fabulous sense of humour, even the silliest things. Um, we, could, we could look and laugh at and when something silly happened or stupid happened, you could still make it laugh, even though you didn't laugh. I got caught a few times laughing in the wrong place and... Had to go to chaplain. That's where you go once a week. Um, all the monks gather in front of the abbot, and they sort of confess not their sins, but things that they did wrong. Because if you don't, somebody else will um, chapter you. <laughs> and I, I was a young guy, and I got several things. I broke things at work and things like that. And they would, um, I would confess them before someone else did. You know, so that was quite. And that's the entrance bell now ringing calling all the monks in the fields to come in for their, for their um, lunch. Well, I came up with my father, and um, the interesting thing that when we arrived, Father Kevin was the... Um, no, he was the guest master. And I was in my brother's sports car. Why, I don't know. My father gave me a last drive before I, <laughs> I entered the monastery. And Father Kevin insisted that I take him for a drive around the block to RD and that, to go for a spin, because he'd never been in a sports car. So that was my first memory of coming in. Um, and it was pretty, pretty quick, as it was my father said. We said goodbye, and I gave him my, my wristwatch and my... I was wearing, for whatever reason, I don't know, I was wearing um, cufflinks because I was dressed in a suit and shirt and tie and I gave him those back and, and um, he said goodbye to me and he said, if you're ever thinking of leaving, so don't be worried. So I didn't think that. A couple of years later I'd be giving him a call to do that but it wasn't sort of sad or anything. It was the start of a new adventure, I suppose, like anybody going into something, a young person going into the army or going off to sea or something like that. There was a challenge, nostalgia of leaving home but the excitement of a new life a new world starting out Do you think it was sad for him? For your father? Yes and no um, I suppose it was sad in a sense that I was joining a contemplative order and one of the, the, the situations that, that you don't have visitors but obviously for the first period it was, it, but that wasn't too much different because with boarding school you know, I'd gone to boarding school so anyone who went to boarding school would know what I'm talking about but it, it was sad in that he would have liked, as every Irish family would like to have a priest, he would have preferred if I'd joined the, um, the right secular priesthood. And then, but that wasn't to be. So, but I think he was sad from that point of view. But he never spoke about it because I tried to talk to him afterwards about what he felt like going home on the car on his own. I'd, I'd applied late and I hadn't got to you remember we got our suit and clearies oh. and mine hadn't arrived so I had to get all hand-me-down stuff and the trousers was about 
three times too too big for me. <laughs> oh, I bore the cross exactly. Yeah. <laughs> well said, Brian. <laughs> at least you had a suit. All we had was a sort of a canvas underpants. Yeah. Remember the jump to your knees. Hey, 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 John's. I, 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 <laughs> I was going to ask. Big pants. Yeah. All canvas. They were rough on your yeah, skin yeah. and everything. Yeah. Of course, that was made. Uh, of course, I, I made out of goat skin with the hair turned in or something. That was the bed. That was the bed clothes that were made out of that. They were lint. That was that was um, canvas as well. It was yeah, and, and straw bed, straw mattress. The senior novices would make the pillows for the the new ones coming yeah. in, and they would pummel the straw into it, and you had a like sleeping yeah. on a like a piece of wood, but it was carved yeah. out. Yeah. You could pummel it yeah. in, yeah. 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 But I thought yeah. I, I remember when we, when we went up to see you two, I said these these fellas really have That's it right. made. You know? Yeah, they really are. Really. Quarter <laughs> 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 to three in the morning. Whole day. No, it I was miserable. No, I wasn't envious. I wasn't envious. All sorts of weather all my life. But that year, all sores yeah, in the backs of my hand. Yeah, it was yeah. so bloody cold up there. Yeah, yeah. 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 the key to the enclosure. Is the enclosure? The cloister. Right. We had a, a special because, key for right. Because of, key. of the danger that women might get in. <laughs> Ray, you're very quiet. Brian, yeah. Brian, he wasn't even thinking of women. That's right, yeah. On higher things. On higher things. They were very high things. But do you remember the day coming up? What brought you guys up to see us? Because a whole pile of other Vins came up. Oh, it would have been the novice master. Yeah, Father yeah. McGinley. Yeah, Father McGinley. Right. And he thought it was a good thing that we would inspire you, us. Well, <laughs> we, we came to inspire you two. Oh, really? Yeah. In fact, actually, to kind of pull you over, to kind of get you over to the proper yeah. vocation after all that. We couldn't be having you in silence. And knowing the two of you particularly, yeah. the, yeah. Possibility, the idea of the two good, of you going to silence. Two good was, rugby players. Exactly. <laughs> Not forever, you know. brought his rugby prowess into tackling calves. He'd say, round those up and we tackle them. And this guy was brilliant at tackling them. I, I remember I sprained my ankle once doing a ram, catching a ram. I remember that. And I had to go into hospital and I hated every minute of it yeah. because inside you were just one or the other. But in hospital, I was suddenly brother this. Oh, yeah. And, you know, I was in from the monastery and they were treating you as though you were some sort of a weirdo. I'm sure I was only 18 years of age and just yeah. out of school, you know. And I was suddenly a sort of a holy man, you That's know. Right. They'd come up to you in the hospital if you went. Yeah. And they would say, best me, Father Fred, I've seen all this. <laughs> And then you say a prayer for us, Father. I'm having a very bad life, you know. <laughs> forgive me, won't you forgive me? Tell God to forgive me, you know. Sheep dip. dip. Oh, I remember. To which? Sheep dip. Oh, yeah. I remember the first summer of doing that. Behind all that was with the, the old milking parlours. And I was a city fella coming out to... We moved back from them... This is the, I suppose, it's a, it's a typical farmyard. It's a quadrangle and it would be part of the old estate. And the, the monks would have, been, in the old days, they would have been, had uh, all here would be in the, um, the milking parlours, the old cans, you know, the Alpha Laval cans. I don't know. The Creamery no cans, yes. yeah. And up there would be the creamy would come in. The cows would be all housed in winter on the other quadrangle. And this side then would be all the farm machinery. And in the back of here is the timber yards and there were the sawmills up there. And that's where, all on the top was the grain. So we'd harvest the grain and then we'd use the machines, put it up, and then we would turn the grain. This is all new to me as a city guy. Going out, funnily enough, one of the brothers in charge of the, the um, milking was a brother, Anthony, from Dublin. He was a real, real dub. And although he couldn't talk to me because I could, he could only talk to me through the novice master, he would, he would shout instructions 
to the little and he talked to the cows. <laughs> and I'd get the message if I was messing up big time, you know. But it was scary, it's scary, a scary time to get in under a cow and wash their others and then start putting the milking machines on. That was quite a bit of shock. But it was all new, as I knew thing to a, a young teenager. Is. As you can see across now, that's the Black Hill directly opposite us. And one of my first memories of the first winter here, um, I used to look after the sheep, and I had quite a huge herd, and I was given the um, task of bringing um, a sack of food up to them because they, they, none of the tractors could get up the hill. So I headed off on my trip up the hill, got up way up the top, climbed over the gate, and was distributing the meal into these troughs and I saw about 250 sheep running towards me and I had never seen anything like this in my life and I got such a fright, I dropped everything and apparently I cleared the six-foot gate getting out over the far side and then I just heard roars of laughter because three of the monks were working in the woods and they, they watched all this spectacle of this new Dublin city, Jackine, running away from sheep and I suppose years later or even months later I was well able to work with them and was working with cattle and cows and sheep and everything and it was just it was the first experience of him <laughs> meeting sheep, running from sheep was kind of a joke now <laughs> Indeed it was, it is about That's a nice day, isn't it indeed Oh lovely day, thank God And, and who are you? John Craven is my name John, Jimmy Kinahan, were you here way back in Oh Jimmy, we've got to know you now alright yeah, 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 your, face. your face comes to me now alright Yeah, that's right. You? Yeah, you, you, you were along with what we call him uh, the, the, abbot, the present abbot's here now, isn't that right? Yeah, Augustine, yeah, that's, that's right, that's yeah, right. We and, together, yeah. That's right, I remember the, it was three years here that time That's right, Aye. yeah that, yeah. I remember that Oh, them was, uh, them was good times We were just talking about that, yeah Oh, the big changes here now, oh, there's nobody here now Right, yeah There's nobody here now, so God, there's, all, the, all the old monks are all gone Right, yeah. They're all going now and, and, and all the rest. Oh, you, you would uh, wander, wander around there and see what the little jobs are. Okay. Aye. Make sure and shut the gates after you get to the gate. It will indeed, John. Lovely to talk to you again. Nice to meet you again. Right, thanks. I've been 44 years here now. Wow. 44. Oh, good man. <laughs> this is how my friend Niall left. Mine was like a comedy of errors, you know. I mean, it was just gas. I started getting these dreadful headaches That's right, inside that. my thing. They sent me then off to a dentist. dentist. Some Egypt looked into my <laughs> mouth and mm -hmm. saw that I'd got these old fillings. They, they were the same on either side. I think they were copper or something. They were, yeah, did yeah, them in yeah. our youth. Yeah. And the guy... There was a guy from here. Was he? Was he? Yeah. And he looked into my mouth and he says, I'll tell you what we'll do. We'll pull out the tooth there. And if the headache goes on that side of your head... <laughs> then we'll pull, we'll pull out the other one. That's gospel. On my swear, I swear to God, that's gospel. So needless to say, he took out a tooth, but there was no headache went. So then they sent me down to a fella called Father Doyle. He was um, he was in CUS there in in oh, Leeson Street, and a lovely old man. Mm -hmm. But I remember clearly, I went out the door that day, and I was meant to get a bus, but I decided to start hitching. And I was wearing my full regalia, you know, or some sort of a... I can't exactly remember, but I was wearing clerical stuff anyway, of some sort. So I got a lift, I got a lift straight down. So I went to see this fella, Doyle, and he sat down. He said, will you have some breakfast? And we were chatting away. And, of course, we had no meat or fish or eggs for the whole year. But when you were out, you were allowed to do things. So knowing what I was in for, he prepared a big fry and we sat down at a big fry. And then he spent the whole morning with me and did tests and questionnaires and all sorts of things. So then again, he, he said to me at the end of it, what do you want to do now? Well, I said, to be honest with you, I'd really like to leave, but I feel a bit guilty about wanting to leave because maybe I'm giving in too much. 
He says, look, I spent two minutes with you and I knew you should never be there. But he said, I knew you wouldn't believe me if I said that. So I put you through the whole rigours mm-hmm. and the answer is exactly the same. Get the hell out of there and don't, don't come back. Yeah, yeah. Now, he didn't say you, you, don't, you don't have a vocation to be a priest or anything. It was just I didn't have the vocation to be in there. So we sort of left it that uh, we would review the situation in the future. And, uh, of course, <laughs> I reviewed it very quickly. And said, I wasn't going back anywhere. Yeah, I wasn't going. When I came back then, uh, they asked me to wait for two weeks, I think, or something like that, which I did. And they were very kind, very nice. There was no, no effort to keep me there. They just accepted it completely and were very kind, very nice. And then all the time you were in here, you had no, no real idea what was going on outside of here. No, we were totally oblivious to anything that was going on outside, unless they have decided to give some news. Now, they probably have advanced somewhat now, but I would get letters from my, my sisters and brothers, and my mother would send me clippings of my brother playing rugby and things like that, and something going on. And in fact, when I did leave, I remember um, my father collected me, and we had business in town, and he parked on O'Connell Bridge, and I, remember, I still remember sitting in the car and seeing miniskirts for the first time. It's a bit of a shock to the system, <laughs> because they had they had only come in in the couple of years since I had gone in, and it was quite, quite a shock to the system, you know. And they didn't seem to, to miss not having news. It's, it's a piece of tranquility in the middle of a mad world, and still here I can still get that sense of feeling of total tranquility you can hear the breeze and the wind and the birds and animals around you and it's so so peaceful and another thing you were saying earlier too about coming in here and the notion of silence itself and people and the woman and the person that said to you about you being a coward to come in here it's very interesting. A lot of people criticised me, saying that it was escapism. Going into priesthood is escapism, but going into monastery was real escapism. And when I came out, I met my friend's mother, who used to write to me and criticise me. She was nice. She was a very devout, religious person, but she just said I, I was a coward, running away from life. And I explained to her that from the time I got up in the morning, right through the whole day, I had no distractions about had to worry about my food, clothes, roof over my head. I had no job to distract me during the day. I had no family. I had no wife or children to distract me throughout my life. The whole thing was all about me and my relationship with God and why I was here. So I didn't have a chance to escape anything. I had to examine and justify to myself every minute of my working, living day why am I here? Why am I? Why do I want to be here? So I didn't have a chance of escapism. I think a lot of people don't understand that when they say people are escaping. You're not escaping. You're, you don't have a chance to escape. When I'd wake up in the morning, I'd have to say, why am I here? And I had my justification, my reasons for being here. That I want. I had a vocation to this is what I wanted to spend my life doing. You know. And how do you feel about it now? Um, I certainly have that eerie feeling of being back um, it's a pleasant feeling I feel very comfortable with it um, it's hard to hard to really describe um, I probably feel a bit uh, of um, 
guilt that I haven't come up more often to visit them and I think I, I will change that now um, I'll make it more of an effort it's, it's so easy to get here and if you hadn't prompted me to come here I think I probably wouldn't have and I think that it's probably, it will be a, a new era that I will certainly make more time to come and visit with my family and that because it's very much a part of me and it, it has in I suppose it has been very much part of setting the values I have in life and in fact my family would often say that um, you know you're not a monk now because I, I have no material interests and I, I, material wealth doesn't it doesn't really push me in it. I really have to go out and try and get me to buy stuff and that. And I think that has come from here. Maybe it was there before, but this certainly enhanced it. And you see how, how frugally the monks live here and how content they are. And you could see there in the church the peacefulness on their faces. And they have nothing. But they have no worries either, I suppose, in a sense. Mm-hmm. But they have to. The big worry they have is justifying why they're here. That's the hardest part, justifying why they're here every single day. They have to ask themselves, what am I doing here? And it's obviously that they believe that they're giving their life up to prayer. But it's interesting that a lot of people would have said, if I was in the priesthood and that, and said that um, you're very selfish. Mm. You're just thinking of yourself, you know, and that. And yet every one of us are married, so that's a massive commitment Mm -hmm. of unselfishness, if you think about it, because there's none of us in this group that are not married, you know. I think it was inevitable I went in, sort of. I think... I had to go through that. I, I wouldn't have been able to work myself out the other side. You know what yeah, I mean? Yeah. I think I had to go in. Uh, no, nobody was pushing me. You know what I mean? It was a sort yeah. of an in, inner compulsion. Mm-hmm. And if I if I had not followed that, I think I'd have been regretting it forever. Whereas I followed it through and it worked out not to be right. But I wouldn't regard it as a mistake. I think it wasn't right for me in the long term, but I think in the short term it probably gave me a foundation that has been helpful through yeah. tough times yeah. and good times, you know, since... Well, what would you say that people would say to us, we were terribly immature... We were idealistic. We went off into this romantic role of the priest up in the mass, saying mass and doing all that type of thing. What would you say about that? It's a special calling for yes, my yeah. That's Going into marriage. I mean, what do you go to get married? I mean, you say we're not, busy, we're, we're, we're not selfish, therefore we got married. The reason we got married is because we were selfish. And I think, I mean, it's a bigger question, but do we do anything? That isn't selfish. No, that, but that's a far bigger yeah. question. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, yeah. I mean yeah. what's wrong with that's being right. selfish? Well, no, I mean, because oh, no, you I'm have to develop that. the self <laughs> and, you know, you get it a whole thing. Yeah, but I mean, you've got to love yourself before you love anybody. That's right. Yeah, yeah, but, back yeah. Yeah, yeah, but Jimmy, I find at this part of my life, it's now I have the luxury of being able, I have the children reared and I'm now able to go into myself and uh, come to grips with myself and love my, I mean, I think in life, I have to love myself, I have to love my God and I have to love people but I must love myself and personally the most difficult thing because of this idealistic mm-hmm. thing would be to love myself yeah. I would have always said you know, why can't you be different why can't you be doing this and doing that and doing that and then when you don't reach it you're giving out to yourself and if suddenly if I know you accept everything accept everything as it is and try and live the moment and everything will, will change but you must accept yourself and accepting yourself, you accept everybody else. This is my, the way I'm yeah. beginning. Yeah, okay. but, but mm. there's, there's a tree there which spreads out all over the place. Kids love it, you know. The third novice who joined that summer stayed on in Mellifant, was ordained and became Father Augustine and now Dom Augustine. He's the abbot there. Who was it entered first? Was it Niall or you? 
Nile. Nile. Well, Nile and I entered on the same day. That's right. And yeah. You came along about a week or two later. That's right. Yeah. Yeah. I stayed for my brother's wedding. Yeah. That was it. Yeah. Nile left exactly after a year. Right. And uh, then you went uh, a year. Was it a year later after yeah, that? A later, yeah. yeah. And I was on my own then for about ten years. Things were really tough here. <clears throat> they were, you know. Yeah, I, I mean, it was only after 1969 that um, the, the way of life eased up a bit, you know, the strict rule of silence, Grant, you know. Don't spoil it all now. <laughs> but for my time, it was tough. Yeah, it was tough. It was very tough. It was very tough. The diet was, was severe. Um, our communication was minimal. Um, and today, like, relationship relationship is all about you know the ability to communicate so we, we were living strange kind of lives um remember smoking my last cigarette in the, before going to the chapter room to get the novice's habit and uh, thinking this was the end and my mother and my young youngest sister crying their eyes out at the at amy street when i was uh, leaving them you know i thought they'd never see me again right and of course when you cross the threshold down there it wasn't a road it was a dirt track really up to this place you felt, you know, you were, you were leaving the world behind in no uncertain way. And that was it. You'd never get out again. And it was a good few years before I actually did get out. That's right, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Uh, but we have a huge plant here now, a thousand acres. Uh, we have a large garden centre. Uh, we have a printing press and a farm. Uh, and all of these things, uh, well, you worry about them because community is diminishing in numbers or aging and you know you, you ask I mean it's not just malefunctions and many of our communities are asking the same questions do we need a huge plant to survive yes like we're, we're 13 now I suppose in modern terms that would be the size of three three families perhaps three families yeah. um, do you need all of this for three families can you ask your father about silence, what it would mean to you? Silence um, is an essential part of our living, really, um, because prayer is the primary, our primary apostolate. And for prayer, you need to listen to God, listen to the word of the Lord. And for that, like large, large portions of silence are... Um, essential, really. And that's silence within oneself, and, and then silence in the in the atmosphere and the uh, the environment. <clears throat> and by and large, we, we retain that all right. Um, so it it really is, you know, it's um, it's trying to um, eliminate all the various noises that go on inside and outside oneself. Uh, um, and they say that a lot of people today find it very difficult to live with silence that's so why you have this proliferation of mobile telephones and people talking everywhere I mean, there are monks who have their mobile telephones because they're considered essential today <laughs> <laughs> closely allied with silence is the whole question of solitude being on one's own being able to live with yourself um, that's important as well uh, and that, that raises a big question today too because, I mean, we all have access to internet. Um, how can you be apart, as it were, from the world when you're, you know, at a, at a, at a switch of a button? You, you can be watching 
anything at all, you know, on the, on the internet. Um, and, the, and the other various means of communication, newspapers, you know, they, they do, they do, there's all the danger of them impinging too much. I mean, you have to have them on, right? I mean, I don't know what to do without a computer, to be honest with right. you. What are they, apartments? They're apartments there. Yeah. But you hear the noise of the traffic? Well, look at them there. Here's Father Devitt. Who hasn't changed? Who hasn't changed? Who hasn't changed a bit? Have I not, Brian? No, no, no. Not a bit. You put up with us. I don't know how you did. I should introduce myself. I couldn't get a name tag. What did you say, Ray? I used to find that very hard to believe. What? That's that was your phrase. That was your that's what you used to say. Yes, yes. <laughs> Come back to haunt you. <laughs> we actually realised that when you were trying to deal with 14-year-old snippets like we were then, that you were only about 31 years of age. No, he was older. older. No, he was born in 1929. Yeah. yeah. So, in so in 1960, what yeah. were you? Well, 31. You were 31. When you come to, now that we've all grown up a little bit, and hopefully got a tiny bit of wisdom, realised what an impossible task it was. Absolutely. Yeah, and how young you were. The, the snag about it is you didn't realise it was impossible in those years. No, 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 no. That, that's what made all the difference to yeah. me. Yes, yeah. <laughs> but was it impossible? <laughs> Nearly. Yeah. 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 <laughs> well, listen, th- this is something we want to give you. It's a little present. To s- I don't want to bring it down in, in okay, things, so you want to open it up. Jimmy. Just open it up and say, it's a, it's a sort of to say that you created something for us that is there and it's very symbolic and I'm sure the guys when they see it they're going to mm. appreciate it oh, yeah. it's an acorn turned into an oak tree oh, and I think that's Lovely. what you did yes, for yeah. us Lovely. Lovely. and those were certainly had English yeah. and those were, we never saw you as a dean of discipline we saw you as a different person and especially fellas like you know who went on and you gave us a lot of spiritual advice it was there, and we never got a chance to say thank you for that. Mm-hmm. Well, Forty le- years later, yeah, no, yeah. Better, better than nothing, <laughs> isn't it? Yeah. <laughs> There's three criteria for a vocation, and one is that um, you obviously have to have the spiritual, you have to have the emotional. What is it? The, what are the? the um, let me see what they are. Um, you have to have the vocation. Well, you have to have the physical, the emotional and the spiritual and if any of those are missing it's a sign from God or whoever you believe in that that's not the place for you you know so my health broke down and when I came back here um, I was in that's why I went to the abbot and he was a lovely 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 man he was very upset it was like talking to my father and he was really crying he said I'm losing a son I'm very upset I'm very you know he was really sad I still remember it but he um when, when will I go? And he said, um, well, as soon as possible, because once you realise that this is not the place that God wants you to be, you won't be happy here. And I thought, well, well I'll give it a while and see how it goes, you know. But within a day, I had that feeling exactly as you just described, of um, I shouldn't be here. But it was just a feeling of real um, feeling all over of, you know, not in the right place and I shouldn't be here and though, then I couldn't wait I didn't sleep for about three nights and then, then I went home on that Saturday that was on a Tuesday and um, 
I had, had never had that feeling before of being in a place where I didn't want to be. I, I did want to be, but it wasn't the place for me. Can you understand? Sometimes you're in relationships, you have the same feeling of your, um, you know it's not the place to be, but you can't explain it. And once then you make the decision to leave the relationship, there's sort of a, a cloud lifts off your, your heart and your whole sense. So in those couple of days, I felt that I shouldn't have been here. And funny enough, although we were all silent, nobody talked, and the word got out and I would be approached by brothers. Without saying a word, they would just put their hands on the shoulders and kind of say goodbye and that, you know. Because you don't hear when someone leaves, like Niall, the other guy was with me, He left, when he left... Um, he was there one day, he was gone the next. You don't get a chance to say goodbye. So that's quite traumatic. And I presume there's, there's reasons for that. I could see it now that you could upset an awful lot of other people if you were in. Whereas when somebody leaves, that's just it. It's not mentioned, it's just gone. Is there ever a part of you that thinks you might have stayed here? When I, when I, I left... A couple of years afterwards, I used to get nightmares thinking I was back, and I used to wake up in a sweat, um, and this was like anything else. But sometimes that um, I was wondering what it would be like if if I had stayed here. Then I wouldn't have had um, the wonderful children, I suppose, that I have now. It's a testimony to myself, I suppose, that and that that's been part of me that is absolutely crucial to my existence to have such lovely children um, so I, I don't think I, I would have um, that wouldn't have been part so think my go back um, I, I definitely think that it has influenced my life there's no question about that and it hasn't done me any harm and, but it would, it would certainly um, Robert Frost famous or it's poem on Less um, travelled road, I think, reflects me a lot because throughout my life I've taken things less travelled than other people, and, and this is one of the one of the paths I took that um, certainly made my life the way it is. That's what the last few months have been like: going back, remembering, and having memories jump out of nowhere in front of you. This is the graveyard now. I'll walk over here. There's a priest over there. I'm just going to go over and just have a look at some the gravestones. Is that okay? Yeah. quite emotional to see every one of them that I knew and the faces just popped up so clearly big smiles on the faces extraordinary there's so many that are dead now and they all live to right old ages 
um, quite emotional. It's like visiting a family um, plot, you know. I didn't realise that so close to those guys. I find it quite extraordinary that uh, such a huge emotional attachment still to the place after all these years and it didn't really hit home until I went into the graveyard there and it is clearer, the faces I saw when I looked at the names it's just as clear as it was only yesterday I've never had that experience before Your music. Quarter past two, yeah. That's terse. Before they go back out into fields now, they'll be sending their prayers to go before they go back out.